0: Open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if you will, this morning. We're going to continue in our study through the book of 2 Thessalonians. We're going to jump right in. We're going to pick it up in verse 1, and the Apostle Paul says this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Paul here is wrapping things up. Remember, he began this letter commending the believers in Thessalonica uh, for their faithfulness in the midst of a very real persecution that they were going through. And he was also encouraging them uh, about the future glory uh, that was revealed by prophecy that they would be partakers of, the glory that is that awaits us in the future for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, for those of us that endure. And we looked at how Paul touches on prophecy, how you know the Bible is the only book that has a hundred percent accurate track record for predicting the future in advance. Um, only God could do that. Uh, As a matter of fact, he says as much through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 46, verse 9, uh, God says this. He says, I am God. There's none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it ever happens. Everything that I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. And so we look at that and just the amazing prophecies that await us that are yet to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ and as amazing as prophecy is, and it certainly is amazing, it serves a purpose. And the purpose of prophecy isn't this. It, it's, it's to inform how we live in the present in preparation for the future. And that's how chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians closes out. That's where we left off. Um, we left off with the reminder that yes, we have the prophetic promises of what Christ will do yet in the future, but we first have to recognize um, what Christ wants to do in the present. And in order for us to recognize what it is that Jesus wants to do in the present, hey, listen, we have to listen to what Jesus says. And and Paul says in the closing verses of chapter 2, um, that that's going to become an ever-increasing problem in the last days. Uh, here's why. Because the defining practice of the people who will follow the Antichrist, this is uh, the, uh, the, the prophesied events that are to come, the, the defining practice of those that will follow the Antichrist will be that they reject the truth. But Paul says the defining practice of followers of Jesus is that rather than rejecting the truth, believers receive and respond to the truth. And so we left off in chapter two, focusing on three ways to receive and to respond to truth. Number one, we believe the truth. Number two, we guard the truth. And thirdly, we practice the truth. If you missed that message, it's, it's uh, here online. I'd encourage you to listen to it, but today, as we transition now from chapter two to chapter three of 2 Thessalonians, uh, the focus is gonna really be on a fourth way to receive and respond to truth. And that fourth way is this, we share the truth. We share the truth. Uh, Paul says, again here in 2 Thessalonians chapter three, finally, brethren, pray for us that, here it is, the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is With you, Um, when Paul says pray for us here in the text, understand uh, that this is written in the Greek in what's known as the present imperative, and that doesn't mean that Paul is saying, hey guys, if you think about it, throw up a prayer for me. You know, if you've got some time, why don't you, you know, say a prayer for me? That is not what the present imperative in the Greek actually means. What Paul is saying here, he's saying, hey, you guys, you need to pray for us right now. Paul is saying, you guys need to keep praying for us. Pray for us right now and keep praying for us. Listen, there's an urgency to it. And Paul gets specific. Not only does he tell them, hey, you got to be praying for us right now and keep praying for us. But he tells them what he wanted them to to pray specifically for, Uh, and he says, first of all, pray that the word of the Lord may run swiftly, run swiftly. Let me illustrate that. Brent and I, we used to have a a dog, a a Cavalier King Charles. He was the coolest little guy. Um, He's in doggy heaven now, but (laughs) he was this awesome little Cavalier King Charles and, uh, and we brought him with us on vacation a lot of different times. He'd, he'd just run around in the motorhome. And we went up to uh, to Halama Beach. And I took Bentley there. And I had Bentley on the leash. And we got the, out there on, on the beach. And, uh, and you know, one of the cool things about Halama Beach is you can walk for hours down the beach and sometimes never see, you know, another soul. Uh, and so we, we were out there at Halama Beach. And I took Bentley... Off the leash. Well, man, the second that I took Bentley off the leash, that dog was gone. Man, he was just running like crazy. He was off to the races, away he went, and uh, and I'm just watching him just go out of sight. I'm like calling after him, and so I start chasing this stupid dog. I'm running down the beach. I mean, I ran probably over a mile, and and this dog just getting just completely out of sight. And he's gone. Finally, I give up. I'm just like, well, you know, he's gone. And, uh, and so I keep going down the beach, keep going down the beach. And, uh, and, you know, finally, after what seemed like an eternity, there's this little speck of this dog running a million miles an hour and right back towards me, right? But he, he has no intention of stopping. So now it's a matter of how am I going to get this dumb dog to stop. So I ended up diving and, and grabbing the, the dog, just barely getting him by his collar. I'm like, you stupid dog. Bentley went back on the leash. He never came off the leash again for the rest of his natural life. He was off the leash in the house and in the backyard. But man, whenever we took him outside for a walk, he was on the leash. And when, uh, when Paul is praying now, he's saying, hey, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. That's what he's hoping for with the word of God. Man, Paul wants the word of God to take, be taken off the leash and to run like Bentley, man. He wants it to go far and wide and, and not be contained. This is the idea. Now, that's interesting because here's what the Bible says about the word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, It says, the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And so the writer of Hebrews saying, look, the word of God is alive. It is powerful. You don't make it alive. You don't make it powerful. It is alive. It is powerful. As well, the same idea, Isaiah, the prophet, he says this, he says, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud that it may give uh, seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall, in the exact same way that that the, the, that, uh, the rain comes down and does that, he says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And so here's the question, because both of these verses tell us that the word inherently is powerful. It's been said the word of God is like a lion in a cage, man. You just got to let it out of the cage and let it go and do its work. So the question is, if the word already is living, if it already is active, if it already does by itself, without any help from you or me, um, accomplish the purpose for which it's sent, (laughs) what then is the purpose for praying that the word would run swiftly, right? Paul's saying pray that the word of God runs swiftly. It's like, what's the point? Because it would seem that that's kind of like praying for the sun to rise. It's kind of like praying, you know, for CNN to hate Donald Trump. Like, you know, pretty much guaranteed that's gonna happen, right? So why do we pray for that? Here's why. We pray because in order for the word to go forth, you need someone to deliver it. That's that's the get of this. Listen, the writer of, of Romans, Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him to to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news now two quick applications for us right now at this point in our study number 1 listen just as paul is saying pray pray that the word of the lord would run swiftly and and you know it's it's a personal prayer it's pray for us for for our endeavoring really to take and to deliver God's word and to to effectually share and spread God's word, Um, just as Paul would covet those prayers, number one, listen, our pastors and our leaders need your prayers. We need your prayers. Listen, this has never been more true than right now in this moment of history. Right now where we are at, listen, we are experiencing a worldwide situation you know it well, you're there in your house because of it, and it is an unprecedented change event. Let me tell you what I mean by that. What is a change event? Um, physiologically, the way that the human mind, the way that the human behavior is programmed, the way that God created you, um, your brain is designed to establish habits. If you've been, uh, you know, attending our services for any length of time, you've probably heard me talk about this. Um, Physiologically, you're designed in a way that you have a clump of cells in your brain. It's called the basal ganglia. And the basal ganglia, it's about the size of a golf ball, sits right in the center of your skull. And and the job of the basal ganglia is that it takes complex information, that requires a lot of learning on your part. It takes this complex information, and what it does is it packages it and it condenses it into a habit pattern. So, whereas, and you know, I always use the illustration um, of uh, uh, you know driving a stick shift. Uh, you know, where when you first start learning to drive it, it's really complicated. And it takes a lot of brain power and a lot of coordinated effort and and you know intentional thought process to, to learn it. But at a certain point, once you learn it, you don't have to think that hard anymore because your brain has done its job. It's functioned the way God designed it to. And so all of that complex information now just becomes habit that you don't even have to think about. And the problem with, with, um, with our human brains is that sin has entered into the picture and so what happens is, because sin has entered into the picture, and, and we are now all sinners by nature and by choice, some of the, the information that we assimilate in our brains to form habit patterns is, is not good for us, and it's not God-honoring. Some of our habit patterns are not are distinctly not God-honoring; they are sinful uh, in nature. Um, and The problem with a a sin nature habit pattern that gets formed is is that it doesn't change easily. Habits don't change easily. Um, They they were formed by intentional uh, effort over a period of time, and for us to change them, it requires an equal intentional effort. Now, certain change events open windows in our habit patterns. And um, they, reor- they reorient them. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. Um, one of the examples is, is our retail patterns. You know, if, if, where, where you like to go out to eat, where you like to go shopping, how, how you, you, know, you, you like to you know, spend your time and your money and all of that. Um, scientists have discovered that... Um, for in certain instances if you if you move to a new home or if you move to a new neighborhood or if you're going through a pregnancy or if you have a job change or if you're struggling through an illness these are significant change events and what happens then is that they open this this window for the for all of a sudden there's a change in your habit patterns, and you've all experienced that. You you know, even if you live in the same area, Brenda and I, we lived in one particular neighborhood in Temecula, we moved to another neighborhood in Temecula, it was only about a mile apart, but all of a sudden, we started shopping at different stores. Just, Just one mile made all the difference in the world. Let me give you another example. September 11th, when that event happened, it was a change event and it opened up a window for change. And the the significant change that September 11th immediately brought to our nation was a spiritual change event. The the churches, all of a sudden, everybody started flocking to the churches. And right now, the coronavirus is a change event. And it's remarkable. People are open to the Lord like they haven't been open to the Lord before. It is an incredible thing. Tyndale Publishers, they they just recently, I just read an article today as a matter of fact, Um, they're telling us now the sales of Bibles is up 60% since February because of the coronavirus. 60%. The sale of their Bible study materials have, have increased 44%. Uh, Tyndale Publishers also has a, a Facebook daily devotional platform, and they have seen membership in that um, increase 75% since February, and so so again, why? Change event, opportunity for the gospel. Uh, it doesn't end there. A gal by the name of uh, Jeanette Benson, uh, who is an associate professor at the University of Copenhagen, uh, they did a study and they basically said that internet searches for the word prayer have skyrocketed. And now what they've discovered is that the the number of searches doubles. Every 80,000 cases of the coronavirus, the the searches for prayer doubles. And so you've got this exponential increase in growth of people Googling prayer uh, as well church churches worldwide are now we're, we're all doing church like this we're all doing churches on live stream and what we have what we've all discovered is is that our online attendance is greater than our physical attendance when we were in the building uh, in in many cases it's doubled it's tripled it's quadrupled in some cases it's more incredible than that i mean certainly we have experienced a, a massive increase in our attendance online since we've started live streaming our services. Um, And the guys over at Harvest Christian Fellowship, we got a couple of guys from Harvest that serve on our board of directors, and and they tell me that on Palm Sunday, they had 1.3 million people tune into their services, and they had over 11,000 professions of faith in Jesus Christ. At their Sunday morning services, I mean, Greg Laurie, who pastors Harvest Christian Fellowship, he, he's previously said, like, if they get a couple hundred people making professions of faith on a Sunday, they consider that a good Sunday. So, so what's happened is that this massive change event has taken place. And incredibly, a lot of these new viewers, at least in, in Harvest's case, 1.3 million viewers for Palm Sunday, and they said the, the millennials who tuned in the, the message on Palm Sunday had increased by 235 percent. Greg Laurie writing in Newsweek magazine about all of this he said this he said it makes perfect sense that God would bring about revival and spiritual awakening through our telephones and our laptops. He he had set this up set this up in context about how millennial generation and Gen Z generations are digital natives. You know, people like me, baby boomers. I'm not a native to the digital world. I've I've had to go kicking and screaming into the digital world. I've I tried do my best, but millennials, Gen Zers, man, this that's that's you know Tuesday to them. Like they are they are digital natives, right? And so Greg says it makes perfect sense that God's gonna bring about revival and spiritual awakening uh, through our telephones and our laptops, these native digital uh, platforms. He says it's a new piece to an ever-evolving puzzle, how to say something old to a new audience. Just as the Apostle Paul wrote letters as Gutenberg used the printing press and as Billy Graham used film and television, the church is called to engage the unchurched and the underchurched using whatever tools we have at our disposal. I love that quote, and to it I say amen. Right now, the tools at our disposal are the internet and social media. And and so, man... What do we do? We need your prayers. We need your prayers. Why? Because folks are tuning in, and they're tuning in because they are recognizing through all of this this stuff that we're going through. Hey, you hit something hard, and you wake up and you realize, I need help. And maybe right now, that's you. Maybe right now you're tuning in. God has brought you here. Listen. It's not an accident. It's not an accident you're here. God has brought you here, why? Because you're searching for help. You're searching for answers. And the Bible has those answers. Listen, the gospel in a nutshell is good news. We talked about it last week at our Easter, or a couple weeks ago at our Easter message. But listen, here's the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel says, you and me, we need help because we're sinners. Sin means to miss the mark. God's mark is perfection, and and we're not perfect. And here's how we know that, because what God has done, the Bible says, God writes his law on the tablet of the human heart. And that's what makes us intrinsically know what's right and what's wrong. You know, if somebody wrongs you, if somebody steals from you or does something else against you, inside, you don't need anybody to tell you that that's wrong. You know it's wrong. Why? Because because God's standard is written on your heart, and and so when that standard is violated, it's it's an inherency in the human nature to go that's wrong. This is where guilt comes from, and and shame comes from. Because what happens is is when we when we break that law within us, we know that we violated a standard. And the Bible says the problem is is that when you are a sinner, and that's everybody. If you can fog a mirror, right? You are a sinner. Um, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and this is speaking of not only physical death. Physical death entered the world because of sin. Everybody dies as as a as a result and effect of sin, really ultimately. But it also, you know, portends a spiritual death, right? And so, so all have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God, but, and the wages of sin is death, but the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. The Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And folks, the the truth is, is that God loves you. God is not an angry God. He is a loving God and he loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to, to pay the penalty for your sin by dying on the cross. And he rose from the dead, conquering Satan and sin and death. And now the Bible says that if you will believe in your heart and if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the son of the living God, that he died on the cross for our sins in our place, that he suffered, that he died, was buried, and that he rose again. And if you will believe that and confess that, the Bible promises that you will be saved. And so listen, you're not here by accident. You need to hear this good news, man. Just letting it off the leash, letting it run and do the work that it's gonna do. But man, I'm I'm, I'm delivering it to you because, because that's my job. And guys, that's the first thing we all need to do as we hear this. Maybe you're a believer and you're hearing this. What do you need to do? You need to be praying. You need to be praying for our pastors. You need to be praying for our leaders. You need to be praying for pastors across this country. That, that listen, the word of God would go forth. You need to be praying right this moment for those that are hearing this message, that they would hear the gospel and that they would respond to it. And listen, if you are hearing the gospel today, and if, if you hear that and you, you say, what, what must I do to be saved? Listen, what you, what you have to do is you have to believe and you have to confess that belief and you have to surrender your life to the Lord. You have to repent and we'll talk about that at the end of the message. I'll give you an invitation that you can have your sins forgiven, you can have your past wiped clean, you can have a do-over with God, and you can have the hope of eternal life. I'll give you all that information at the end of the message today. And so here's the deal. We receive and we, re- we respond to the truth by sharing the truth. And there is an urgent need for us to pray for this because in order for the word to go forth, Man, somebody needs to deliver it. Uh, and, And so the first application of this, I just went through. Listen, we need to pray for our pastors. We need to pray for our leaders. Here's the second application. You're included in this also. You are included in this also. You have a duty to let the word of God off the leash and to see it run unhindered, right? Through you as a delivery vessel. Listen, here's what the, the Apostle Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 3. He said, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. And so what that means is that you have to be ready to respond to the invitations that will come your way to share the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. listen the st- the statistics that i shared earlier aren't numbers in a vacuum right they're people those that are buying bibles those that are tuning into services online those that are googling prayer these aren't numbers they're not random you know statistics they're people, these are people that live next door to you. These are people that work with you. These are people who you're interacting with socially online. These are neighbors, these are friends, these are acquaintances. These are you know your high school friends that, that you're friends with on Facebook. You, you, you barely talk to them, you haven't seen them in 20 or 30 years, but they're there, they're in your circle of influence in your, in your, on your Facebook feed. And you see these opportunities that come your way, and God wants you to let the word of God off the leash and let it run its course. See? And and the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? And and the and the 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 answer is prayer. Is prayer. Paul is saying, hey, pray for us, and, and listen, you gotta you gotta be praying, praying for yourself to say, Hey, Lord, show me these opportunities. Where I, where I can share the word, where I can be faithful, where I, you know, can, can, can witness and, and share the gospel. Something else Paul asks them to pray for here in our text, he asks them to, to pray for protection. Uh, notice again, and I'll pick it up in context, I'll read it through verse one again, but he says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. And he says in verse two, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for, he says, not all have faith. And so he's saying, pray, man, pray that we would be delivered by unreasonable and wicked men. Here's the truth for you and me. Not everybody has faith. Paul says it himself. Not everybody has faith. Um, And as you seek to share the truth, you may encounter people who, who are unreasonable. And listen, Jesus said that we should expect this. He said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would welcome you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so the world hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. And, and if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all of this to you because, Jesus says, of me. Uh, for they have rejected the one who sent me. Years ago, I had a friend of mine, uh, good friend still to this day, asked me to go to the hospital with him to visit a, a friend of his that, that had a very serious medical thing happened. And, and uh, you know, he'd gone into full cardiac arrest and they had resuscitated him, but he was still, you know, in intensive care. And, and so he asked me to go with him to go visit his friend in the hospital. And he said, man, I, you know, he doesn't know the Lord. Would you share the gospel with him? And I said, sure. Well, it didn't go so well. His friend was very angry and not receptive to sharing of the gospel. And, and uh, you know, make a long story short, he basically invited me to leave. And so when, when we left and when, now I'm driving home with my friend who asked me to go down with him, he's dejected. He's feeling defeated. He's, he's bummed about, hey, you know, what just happened? And I said, listen, he didn't reject me. He rejected the Lord. But God's working in his life. We'll just keep praying for him. Well, fast forward a couple of years later, this friend ultimately surrendered his life to the lordship of Christ. You see, the, the, the issue is, you know, I didn't have to sell him anything. I just had to be faithful to deliver God's mail. It's God's job to decide what he's going to do with a person and whether or not they're going to respond. And if they reject the message, they're not rejecting you. They're not rejecting me. They're they're rejecting the Lord. And, and, And that doesn't change our responsibility to tell them the news. It puts the onus on them. And we just need to trust as the seed is scattered, as the seed is planted, and just praying for somebody else to come and water that seed, that God would do the work in that person's heart. And so what should you do? You should pray you should pray. Paul told the Corinthians this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he said, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that, it, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What Paul's saying here is, look, you have spiritual weapons to use at your disposal, and the spiritual weapon, the greatest weapon you've got, is the weapon of prayer. See, because what's happening here, it's a spiritual battle. It's happening on a whole different plane, and, and we have to understand that. Paul told Timothy this. He said, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to preach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth why because they're believing a lie right when they reject the Lord they're believing the lie that Satan has sold and 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 Paul went on to say this uh, 2nd Corinthians 2 or uh, 2nd Timothy 2 verse 26 he says and that, this is what you're praying for, that they, those who 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 are rejecting the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape, here it is, the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. Listen, you need to understand that your responsibility to share the gospel, sometimes it will be met with opposition. You need to pray that God would give you you know, favor and that he would go before and that he would work in the hearts of those who, who are unreasonable. But understand, those who are being unreasonable, they've been taken captive by Satan to do as well. And we need to understand this is a spiritual dynamic. We need to be praying. We need to exercise long-suffering. And listen, we need to have love and compassion on those people because, listen, they, they've, been, they've been brainwashed and taken captive by the enemy. And so so we love them. We share the good news with them. We pray for them, right? And this is what we do. So we receive and we respond to the truth by sharing the truth. And there's an urgent need for us to pray for this because in order for the word to go forth, we need somebody to deliver it. That's what we've looked at. The first application of this is that we need to be praying for our pastors and for our leaders. The second application of this is, hey, don't forget you're included in this process, that there needs to be a a willing participation on our part to live missionally and to, to recognize that there is a lost and a fallen world, and that we have been entrusted with the good news of the gospel, and we've been commanded to go into all the world and share this gospel, and Listen, now is a significant change event time and we need to recognize the the opportunity in which we're living, right? And, And here's what I would close the message with today. Understand, God is faithful. God is faithful. Here's what Paul says in verses three through five of chapter three. He says, but the Lord, here it is, the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you will do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Now, when Paul says this word establish, right, he he says that the Lord will establish you. That word establish, it means to strengthen you. It means to make you firm and to make you stable. Now listen, this isn't an improvement of your strength. This is an impartation of God's strength. Total difference between the two. God doesn't promise he's going to make a new and improved you and he's going to tweak your strength and make you stronger. No, what he says is, I'm going to give you my strength right? That's the idea. God will establish you. He will strengthen you. He'll make you firm and he'll make you stable because it's an impartation of his strength and of his provision. That's what we are promised to receive. Back in February, uh, it seems like a world ago, it was only seven weeks ago and how the world has changed in that seven weeks, but back in February, I was in the Philippines with, with, uh, with our, our missions team, and uh, we had gone to Palawan, and we were doing uh, pastor's conferences and pouring into the people there, and one of the events that we had scheduled was that simultaneously when we had the pastor's conference going on, across the street from the venue where we were having the pastor's conference was a public school. Um, and uh, and so we had made arrangements, and the Lord had opened the doors for us to send our worship team over there, and uh, and to send uh, someone to preach the gospel. Uh, well, uh, Royce, uh, who who one of our members, he was part of the team. Uh, he's part of the worship team, and uh, Royce was was called upon to preach the gospel to this group of people, and. Um, this is not, Royce is very comfortable when it comes to leading worship. Royce is, it, it was not as comfortable when it came to preaching the word. But listen, the, the the promise is that, listen, God's gonna establish you, right? He's gonna strengthen you. He's gonna make you firm and stable. It's not an improvement of your own strength. It's an impartation of God's strength. And I had an opportunity just to encourage uh, Royce before he went up and uh, and to pray for him and just tell him, listen, uh, you didn't. You didn't seek this out. The Lord sought you out. God has has called you to this moment, and Royce, God's going to go before you. He's going to be preparing the hearts of those who are gonna hear the gospel that you're going to share. And you're not gonna share the gospel in your own strength, you're gonna share the gospel in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And you're gonna just watch God do a miraculous thing. And so I just prayed for him and, 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 and you know, went in the back and just praying through him being obedient just to, to preach the gospel. And can I tell you, when, when he gave that altar call, We saw close to, if not over 100 kids raise their hands to make profession of faith in Jesus Christ. It's so beautiful just to engage the Lord as he calls us to to do that. Trusting him. Listen, he's not going to improve me. He's going to impart his strength to me. He's going to impart his strength to you as we are simply faithful to pray and just to let the word run its course. Lord, use us and may you be honored and glorified. Listen, the Bible says, he who calls you is faithful who also will do it.